We are in the middle of a sermon series called Our Annual Spiritual. We all have an annual physical, at least we should have an annual physical exam, where we go to the doctor once a year and check on our, our physical health, and we get prescriptions from the doctor and we try to act on them throughout the year. But how many people have an annual spiritual? So in the past few weeks, we've been talking about our annual spiritual. How is our spiritual health in addition to our physical health? And we've been looking at things like our eyes and our hearts and our voices, our words, our tongue. We've been looking at our ears. But this morning, we look at a really important part of our body, our minds. And the Bible suggests what we think about determines who we are. These verses today from Romans and Philippians really are mental health verses. They can change our lives if we'll let them. Listen for the word of God for us. First from Romans 8, 5, and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And then from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And finally, these great verses from Philippians chapter four. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we didn't come to hear a human voice or a human word or a human opinion. We came to hear your word and your word alone. So to that end, O God, pour through me, please, the gift of preaching, that these words might not simply be my words or human opinions, but by a miracle of your grace, these words might become your living word to us. And we know they will, O God, so that every one of us might take the next step on our journey of faith with you. All this we pray with anticipation and boldness in the strong name of Jesus, the risen and the reigning Christ. Amen. Remember these three words. Attitude is everything. You know, all through the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible teaches us we color our lives by the thoughts we think. 
The book of Proverbs says, as a man or woman thinketh in his or her heart, so they become. Attitude is everything. It's all through the Bible. In fact, in one of the greatest Bible stories that was ever told, I think it's one of the favorite Bible stories that maybe you learned in Sunday school or vacation Bible school years ago, the story of David and Goliath. It's really not a story about a battle as much as it is a story about the mind. David, the shepherd boy, defeated Goliath, the Philistine giant, in his mind before he defeated him on the battlefield. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a leadership book about this story. There's so many leadership principles in the story, Gladwell says, that you can learn a lot about the business world and about leadership from the story of David and Goliath. The essence of the story is this. Goliath was about six foot nine inches or six foot ten inches tall. He was a Philistine giant. He lived in a time when the Anak tribe was popular, and we think he was a member of the Anak tribe, and those men got very, very big in those times. So Goliath was a giant by human standards. He had a shield, and he had a sword, and he had a helmet, and he had armor, and he went into battle as very tall, but also with all this armor on. David had nothing on except his clothing and a slingshot with five smooth stones. David was relying on his skill as a shepherd with a slingshot and his faith and trust in God. David went into the battle with not much to stand for, but he was so good with a slingshot. Do you know that as a shepherd, he could put that stone within a quarter inch of a sheep who was wandering away, and he could put it right in front of the nose of the sheep, and the sheep would be startled and turn around and get back in the fold. Or David could kill a lion or a bear with a stone that he shot with a slingshot. That's how powerful and how accurate he was. So when David came into battle, he took his slingshot and five smooth stones, and he took one of the stones and fired it at Goliath. It hit Goliath in his forehead. He was knocked over dead as a doornail. See, everybody thought that because of Goliath's size, he was invincible. David thought, because of his size, I can't miss. Attitude is everything. David won the battle in his mind before he won the battle on the battlefield. Can I ask you an honest question? Is anybody here today facing a Goliath-sized challenge? Doug is facing a Goliath-sized challenge. Doug is 45 years old. He's an attorney, very successful. But he just had a heart attack at the age of 45, and he was in the hospital. He was able to drive himself home, but as he was driving home, he began to think, you know, I just had a heart attack. I'm 45, he's single, he's not married, no children, and he's overweight, to be honest, and he doesn't exercise enough, and he probably eats too much and drinks too much, but he's got a decision to make, and it's in his mind. Is he gonna start to take care of himself? and maybe run a marathon, maybe have a lot of health in his future, or is he going to continue his lifestyle? And if so, he might be dead in a short time. Attitude is everything. I wonder about other Goliath-sized challenges. Anybody dealing with dementia in your family? Anybody dealing with Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, cancer, alcoholism, abuse of drugs or alcohol? If you're dealing with any of these things, you know better than anybody that these are Goliath-sized challenges. These are big, enormous challenges, and they are tough. Anybody dealing with the death of a loved one? 
you just still miss them. <laughs> your brother or sister died, and, and you miss them. Your, your spouse died, and you, you lean over in the bed in the middle of the night, and they're not there, and you miss them. And we hope it doesn't happen, but sometimes a child dies before we do, or a grandchild dies before we do, and we can't even fathom it, but, but the grief is just unspeakable. It's a Goliath-sized challenge. And some people, as a result of COVID, are facing Goliath-sized challenges in their vocation, in their career, and they've had to change their career or alter their career as they think about a new chapter in their life. It's a Goliath-sized challenge, and if you're facing a, a career decision or a career transition, or even if you're facing retirement, these can be Goliath-sized challenges. But the attitude with which we approach these Goliath-sized challenges determines our future. So as we think about this mind that God's given to us, is this theology of the mind, this annual spiritual on the mind, there are three spiritual principles I'd like to lift up for all of us today. They're biblical to the core, but I tell you what, they'll change your life. Principle number one, what we think about and what we set our mind on determines who we are. See, every one of us has a decision to make. It's a big decision to make. We gotta decide, are we gonna focus on what the Bible calls the flesh, or are we gonna focus our mind on what the Bible calls the spirit? To focus on what the Bible calls the flesh is to focus on me, 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 my self-interest, what's best for me. It's to focus on success, power, prestige, popularity, is to focus on what's best for me. But what the Bible calls the spirit is really to focus on what's best for other people. Did you hear in what Paul said earlier today? Focus not on your interests, but on, on the interests of other people. It's a big difference to focus on the flesh, what's best for me, and to focus on the spirit, what's best for somebody else. Our scripture today, Philippians 2, 3 to 11, have this mind, Paul says, this mind among you that was in Christ Jesus who though he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or flaunted, but he emptied himself, and the Greek word is kenosis, he fully emptied himself and took the form of a servant. And being found in human form, he emptied himself and even was obedient even to death on a cross. See, every one of us has to ask ourselves the question, is what we accomplish in our life, and we're a very accomplished congregation, in San Marino, is what we accomplish a pedestal for our self-aggrandizement or is it a platform for service? Do we use our influence, our money, our power, the notoriety that we have, and people in this church have notoriety, but do we use that as a pedestal for our self-glory or is it a platform for opening doors for the next generation? for helping people around us, to help people become the very best they can be. Bob Buford wrote a book years ago. Bob Buford was a very successful cable television guru. At the age of 40, he had a kind of a conversion experience and decided that the first part of his life was all focused on success, and he wanted to focus on significance. So he wrote a book called Halftime, From Success to Significance, how he was still successful, but he used that success as a platform to serve other people instead of a pedestal just to glorify himself. David Brooks wrote a similar book in 2019. Maybe some of you have read it, Second Mountain. The first mountain, Jeff O'Grady said in a sermon one time, the first mountain is our mountain. It's a mountain that we climb. But the second mountain 
is actually the mountain that climbs us. <laughs> the first mountain is the mountain that we climb in the sense it's all about us. It's, it's climbing for our glory. But the, the second mountain is when whatever we do, we're starting to do it for other people. And Brooks says he reached a time in his life where he realized that all the success he had was simply a platform for using it to serve other people. It brought about a tremendous change in Brooks's life. What about us? Are we focused on the desires of the flesh, power, prestige, money, or on serving other people with what we have been given? I see this attitude as everything so lived out in a place just north of here, and north of San Francisco, in the Center for Attitudinal Healing. Have you heard of it? Gerald Jampolsky founded it in 1975. It's an amazing place where they say the 10% of your future are the circumstances of your life. 10%. 90% is what you think about the circumstances of your life. And they have people who come into the Center for Attitudinal Healing who are burned in a fire almost beyond recognition. They have people who come in who are almost fully paralyzed from an automobile accident. They have people who come in who've got spinal cord issues and they can't walk and they're quote-unquote disabled. The Center for Attitudinal Healing says no one is disabled who can help someone else. And the changes in the lives of these people is amazing. Attitude is everything. Principle number two. When you can't change your circumstances, ask God to change your attitude. Have you ever asked somebody, how are you doing? And they say, fine, under the circumstances. And I always think to myself, what in the world are you doing under there? We're not supposed to be under the circumstances. We're supposed to live above the circumstances. If there was ever anybody who lived above his circumstances, it was the Apostle Paul. I mean, Paul, by all earthly counts, should have been depressed. He should have been having a pity party for himself. He was shipwrecked, not once, but again and again. He was adrift at sea. He didn't know whether he would ever be rescued. He thought he was going to drown. People slandered him. Jews slandered him. Followers of Jesus slandered him. They didn't believe he was really converted to Jesus Christ. They spoke against him, and Paul had doors he wanted to go through. He wanted to go to Bithynia, to Asia, to preach the gospel, and the door shut in his face. Have you ever had a door that's shut in your face? You wanted to go through this door, you thought it was right, and it slammed shut, and Paul said, what am I going to do? He had a dream. A man in Macedonia said, come over and help us. So he went to Philippi, where the letter we read today is from. He went to Philippi in Macedonia, leading city of Macedonia, started a new church there. Not only that, but he had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. Some say scurvy, some say an intestinal bug of some sort. But three times he asked God to please take it away from me, and God didn't answer that prayer, the Bible says. And that's when Paul wrote, my strength, God's strength is sufficient for my weakness. He learned to live with it. And he was beaten with rods and beaten with stone almost to death. And he was beaten with these 39 lashes with a whip that had a animal teeth in it and it ripped the flesh. He had all this happen to him and yet he didn't have a pity party for himself. He saw that God was at work amidst the circumstances. He didn't focus on the circumstances. He focused on the God who was with him through the circumstances. Alexander the Graham Bell, the great inventor said, when one door closes in your life, God opens another door. 
But we look so long and regretfully that the door, at the door that was closed that we don't even see the door that's open to us. When you can't change your circumstances, ask God to change your attitude. That's what the apostle Paul did. Paul wanted Bithynia, wanted to go to Asia, wanted the thorn in the flesh to be taken away. God didn't give him that. So he couldn't change his circumstances, so God changed his attitude. He saw God at work even through these closed doors to open other doors. And you know the one word that characterizes Philippians, if he had to choose only one word in the whole book, it's used more than any other word, and that is the word joy. See, you and I are often focused on happiness, but happiness comes from the root word hap, which means chance. If by chance your circumstances are good, you're happy, and we all wanna be happy. But here's the thing, joy is not happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances. If happiness, you're happy if your circumstances are good. Joy, makarios is the Greek word, is a deep, abiding, inner joy that no circumstance could ever, ever, ever take away. Paul knew that through the circumstances, which were tough and almost defeated him, he had a joy that no circumstance could ever take away. He lived above the circumstances. He was not under the circumstances. And principle number three, when God changes our attitude, we become thermostats, not thermometers. Thermostats change the temperature of a room. Thermometers reflect the temperature of a room. If we're thermometers, we simply are reflecting the what is. We're just reflecting the temperature all around us. But a thermostat changes the temperature. A thermostat changes the temperature so much that actually it changes the way people feel. Are you a thermostat who changes the environment around you? or a thermometer that simply reflects it. CJ is a thermostat. CJ became a friend of mine when I was a pastor in New York City at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. CJ was a doorman at the University Club, which was about a block from our church. And CJ was a human magnet. He was a doorman. Now you might say, well, he's just a doorman. But I'm telling you, he was no ordinary doorman. He saw his ministry as a doorman, as a ministry of hospitality. He told me this. He got the register of everybody who was a member of the university club and their photo, and he memorized it. So when anybody came in the university club, CJ greeted them by name and by their title and asked how things were going in their company. And he became he had a thermostat who changed the temperature. He knew about their spouses. He knew about their children. He knew about their careers. He knew about everything. He was a confidant. They would talk to him when they were coming in about things that were going wrong in their life or things that were going great in their life. And he he remembered it and he focused on it. And I told him one day, CJ, you're not a doorman. He said, I'm not. I said, no, you, you're a minister. You have a ministry of hospitality. And he said, you know, Dr. Tull, I pray. I'm a man of prayer. I pray for people. I pray for you down at the church. I think you need it down at that church. So I pray for you. I said, thank you, CJ. I'll tell you what. He said, Dr. Tull, I got to tell you one other thing. I said, what is that? He said, you know, when people here have a death, or when they're struggling with something, you know what I do? I said, what do you do? He said, I pray for them, but I also, I send them down to your church. 
So actually, I sent a few people down there the other day because they, they had a death in their family, and I thought they needed a worship service. And sometimes people come out on Sunday morning, they say, where does a good church? I said, go down there and hear Dr. Toll, just one block here, one, one block down the street, down Fifth Avenue. Go, go to that church. I want you to go there. I said, well, CJ, I'm so grateful. Do you know in a new members class not long after that, when I said to somebody, why are you joining Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church? How did you get here? And one couple said, CJ sent us. We came to New York to interview for a job, and we wanted where to go to church on Sunday morning because the job interview was Monday. We wanted to pray and go to church that Sunday, and we went to Fifth Avenue Church because CJ recommended it. He said, we delighted. We started coming back. I got the job. We moved to New York, and we're going to join the church, but CJ gets an assist for us joining the church. I said, I'm going to tell CJ that he gets the assist. So I went down a couple of days later, said, CJ, a couple in our new members class joined the church because you sent them down. He said, yeah, I remember that couple. And he said, I'm so glad they joined your church. I said, CJ, this is phenomenal. You and I are a good partnership here. I said, CJ, you know, if you send me more people, I'll tell you what, if three more people join the church, you know what I'm going to do for you? He said, what's that, Dr. Toll? I said, I'm going to buy you a toaster. If five join a blender, 10 a microwave oven. He laughed and I laughed, I was kidding and he was kidding. But he did send a lot of people our way. One day, I came up to, <laughs> back to the university club and there was a Porsche sitting out front of the church, out front of the university club. And CJ called me over and he said, Dr. Joel, you see that Porsche? I said, yeah. He said, I want to tell you something. I said, what's that? He said, I'm leaving the university club. I said, oh, CJ, you can't leave. He said, no, no, I'm going to leave. I said, I got another job. I said, what's that? He said, well, I'm going to be the minister of hospitality at the Rockefeller Center. I said, you are? He said, yeah, I'm a doorman, but you told me I'm a minister of hospitality, and that's why I'm seeing myself down at Rockefeller Center. But I've been thinking, you know, I bought CJ a toaster. Suzanne wrapped it. I gave him the toaster. And he said, you know, Dr. Till, you gave me a toaster for sending three members. I figure at Rockefeller Center, I'll be able to send you thousands and thousands of members. How many members would I have to send you to get one of those? And he pointed to the Porsche. I said, CJ, let's just stick with the toaster. <laughs> CJ changed the temperature of the university club. When I had a down day sometimes, I was struggling. Sometimes I just walked by the university club just to hear CJ say, hey, Dr. Toole, praying for you, man. Hope you're doing great down there. You need, you need prayers down there at Fifth Avenue Church. I'm praying for you, man. Just to hear his voice made me feel better. He was a thermostat that changed the environment. Now, maybe you heard yesterday there was an earthquake in Haiti. 304 people, at least as of the news report this morning, had been killed. 1,800 or more have been injured. It recalls the earthquake that occurred in Haiti back in 2010, when I hate to even say it, 220,000 people were killed. Well, I remember was thinking about this yesterday that my friend John Baker was a paramedic in Atlanta. He went down to Haiti after the earthquake in 2010. He went down to help them. He was a big, strong, brawny guy, and he went to help the people, and he got there after a turbulent air flight, but the turbulence in his soul matched the turbulence in the air. In fact, the turbulence in his soul was worse than the turbulence in the air. He saw the devastation of bridges collapsing, buildings collapsing, houses collapsing. The stench of death was all around him. He could hardly sleep that night. 
He had very little to eat before he went to bed and had, could hardly sleep, but he kept tossing and turning. Woke up, and the next morning at 5.30 in the morning, he heard a sound. What is it, he thought. And then it kept going. It sounded like one person humming. And then another person. And then five, and then 10, and then 50, and then 100. What are they humming, he thought to himself. It was like a humming sound. What is it? And then he realized they're humming. Hmm, Do you hear it? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And he wondered to himself, how can these people be humming? And he looked out his window and went outside. There were a thousand people, people in the Haiti Christian community walking down to help with the disaster, but they're humming amazing grace. And then they hummed, Ferris, Lord Jesus, and then it is well with my soul. And every morning John was there at 5.30 in the morning. These thousands of people are humming and they're walking down the streets and they're humming these Christian songs. And he realized, he said, how can they do this? And then he realized what they're doing is they didn't focus on the circumstances like he was. They're focusing on God and Jesus and what could happen through this tragedy. He said, My, I came to help these people from Haiti. And they ended up helping me. My dear friends at San Marino, someday a circumstance will come into your life that will be very very, very unwelcome. You won't want it. You'll want it to go away. You'll beseech God, take this away from me, as Paul did. And maybe God won't take it away. But amidst whatever these circumstances are, remember, there is a God who is working in ways we cannot know through the tragedy to bring triumph. So we don't live under the circumstances. We live above the circumstances. We don't live in the midst of the circumstances. We can have glory beyond it as we know Jesus Christ. Oh, my dear San Marino friends, when circumstances you don't want come your way, remember, attitude is attitude.